free dropped here, no doubt. Yeah, free drop. Whoa, that thing came out sideways. Drove it into the penalty area. Whoa, yeah. Oh, that was a shank. It's hard to believe watching this. It made an unbelievable bogey in the drop zone. Hello, folks. It is Sean Zock, king captain of the drop zone. Joined, as always, by assistant captain Dylan Chair, and joined... <laughs> Joined, uh, we're joined by someone else this week. We're joined by Zephyr Melton. He is the he's the king of women's golf at golf.com. He's down there at the first major championship of the LPGA season. And we are going to dive into that first and let Zephyr get back to work. We're going to talk about Tiger later on today. Uh, and I know everyone wants to hear about Tiger and hear our thoughts about Tiger. You're just going to have to wait for it. You're going to have to wait uh, and hear us talk about the Chevron first because... There was a major championship this week, Dylan, and uh, it was a different one. It was kind of all new, weird because it was a, a long-standing major. We got to jump though, Sean. We got to jump at the end of the week. Yeah, it's a long-standing major championship, but it's at a different course. Yeah, it they 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 picked a major championship up and they moved it across the country and they set it back down and. Um, kind of tried to do a lot of the same things. But anyway, Zephyr was down there on the grounds for golf.com. Z, uh, how are you feeling right now? How's your energy? What did you see this week? Uh, a bit tired. You know, major championship weeks are always long, and uh, this was no different. But, you know, we got through it. We've crowned a champion. As you said, we got to jump into the water, so that was always good. Um, but, yeah, I mean, definitely weird. Um, chevron just picking this tournament up out of the desert and putting it in houston it's a, a major but it didn't quite feel that way this week all right z let's start with our winner uh who was the champion and how did she get it done down the stretch so lilia vu was our champion um she is a, a player who's you know not always had the the easiest time rising to the top she thought about quitting the game at one point in going to law school, her parents talked her back into coming back and giving it another shot. She graduated from the Epson tour and uh, now she's won earlier this year and then won today. She, uh, she was in the mix through 36 holes and then didn't play so well yesterday and kind of fell out of, um, you know, the, the headlines. And then today it was cold. It was windy course was playing tough and she comes out and fires the round of the day with a 68 birdied the last two holes to force a playoff and uh, got it done in the playoffs so a deserving champion and one that I don't think a lot of people had on their board coming into today yeah yeah I don't think she's that well known even though she's had kind of a hell of a year the thing that I was always interested in is we kind of hear that story a lot like oh they were considering quitting they're considering stepping away from the game we hear that with a lot of people that kind of get it done. And it's not, I don't want to belittle it, but I think it, it oftentimes can just be something that all golfers go through. All pro golfers are like, God, I can't do it anymore. Um, but for her, it sounds super real. Is that kind of what you gather? That that was a very, very legitimate thought that she went through. It's like, no, I, I'm done giving it uh, my LPGA go. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you said it. There's a lot of, we hear the story all the time. It's kind of overplayed. Like, oh, yeah, I thought about quitting, came back, gave it one last shot, and then, you know, they get to the top. Um, but with her, I mean, she had a plan. She was going to go to law school. Like, she she had this thing mapped out. It's not like she was saying, like, oh, I was going to quit and then, like, figure it out. She had a plan. Like, she had obviously thought it through. 
but at the end of the day, she decided not to, and now she's a major champ. So a little bit of a different story than the the uh, overplayed one that we hear a lot, but um, yeah, certainly a compelling um, career arc she's had. Z, you were just in uh, her winner's press conference, correct? I was. Did she tell the story of her grandfather and the boat? Uh, someone had asked about her grandfather, um, how he fleed Vietnam. Um, I was actually walking back to hop on a podcast with you two whenever uh, that nice. came up. But um, yeah, do you know a little bit about that story? All right. Well, yeah, I'll just give the cliff notes from what I understand. This was just after the Vietnam War. Um, her grandfather was looking to escape to America and literally built a boat in the Vietnamese countryside and uh, fit as many of as many of his family members on the boat as he possibly could and set sail for America. But it, there were too many people on there. They, they fit too many family members. And so at some point he had to send up a flare and got rescued by an American ship that happened to be nearby. And, uh, you know, that's how Lilia Vu's family ended up in the U S and, and so without the without the flair, without the whole situation, yeah, she wouldn't be a major champion. And he passed away at the beginning of COVID, I think she said. And, you know, so I think there was a lot of, of swirl happening around that time that probably had her considering a lot of things, but kind of an incredible origin story for uh, the Vu family in the U.S. Yeah, quite a butterfly effect there. Um, if you don't choose to pack too many totally. people on the boat, who knows where she's at? Z, while we have you, I want to talk a little bit more big picture also um, because this was obviously the first major at Carlton Woods. What was the word on the venue? Did did people love it? Did people have mixed feelings about it? How did the week progress from kind of a big picture, okay, this is the future home of this championship perspective? Well, the big thing with the players out here is they're always going to be uh, kind of taking the company line when it comes to the Chevron. Uh, I mean, this tournament did not have a title sponsor two years ago. It was at risk of going away. Chevron steps in, they up the purse. They decide to basically save this tournament. Um, obviously, it came with the caveat that moves down to Houston. But, you know, either way, the players were very complimentary of Chevron. Um, they love that they stepped in, that they're a great sponsor, that they do this and that for women's golf. So there's that aspect of it. Um, but on the other side, I, I think that, you know, the players do miss playing at Mission Hills. There was a lot of history there. I mean, Dinah Shore was an iconic person in not only women's golf, but golf in general. And so not having her statue there, not having – you know, being able to, it would be like taking the Masters away from Augusta National. Obviously, Mission Hills and Augusta National are pretty different, but, you know, just in terms of, <laughs> in terms of it being the first major of the year, played at the same course every year, a lot of history, very similar in that regard. So I think the players do miss not being there, but um, yeah, I mean, got one down here in Houston and um, we'll see how it progresses. The uh, the runner up had the most relatable moment I think 
I've felt watching uh, pro golf recently. Angel Yin, uh, Zephyr, do you know Angel at all? I do. She is one of the yeah. most <laughs> fascinating people to talk to out here. There's not a bigger character. I, She's got takes. <laughs> yeah, it would. It, I, the way I described it is if like Harry Higgs or Joel Damon were trying to win a major come Sunday. It's like that kind of personality. You know, it's like impossible not to like them when you talk to them. So it's it, it would be like Harry or Joel. That's kind of the the men's golf comp to Angel. Yeah, she uh I actually walked a couple holes with her during a practice round at Muirfield last year for the women's open and she was absolutely spouting off course design takes, which I wasn't expecting. She's very young, she's twenty four, uh, but she's She's got some strong opinions. Uh, I don't know if I agree with all of them or even many of them, um, but definitely a breath of fresh air. I was I was definitely cheering for her because I know sh- her her championship press conference would have been out of this world. Um, but the relatable moment was uh, I don't know what club she hit in on her second shot of the playoff, but it did not clear. The- all right, she smother hooked a five iron, did not clear the hazard. Uh, on this par five, and which means she had to, to to drop. But basically, the immediate immediate words out of her mouth after contact on that five iron were, "Uh oh," <laughs> <laughs> which is something that we have all done. We have all started it left, saw it going further left, and we're like, "That thing might not clear." <laughs> you yeah. know the next words out of her mouth, though, Sean. What? four <laughs> she yelled four and it's honestly maybe a net positive that that thing went in the water because that was screaming at a group of uh probably fairly important people standing next to the bleachers back there yeah there uh, was Z, were, maybe you were among them yeah there was i was a little more off to the right i did not try to get that close to the green with the uh, balls flying in but yeah there were some vips some photographers over there and i think if it had cleared the water it was gonna give someone a nice welt and it might have it might have gone back in the water anyways because it was moving when it got over there there was one cool thing that angel said as she came up the 72nd hole so after she'd found the green in two in regulation she was walking up and to her caddy she said all right now let's go do something great which i think meant you know let's make this whatever 35 footer for eagle and walk off victory maybe that contributed to her sending it like five or six feet past but credit to her for uh for making that comebacker. And then honestly, if, uh, if Lilia's putt doesn't go in, maybe, maybe there's an extra playoff hole because she kind of clawed her way back into position there. Um, Z let's talk about some of your other reporting this week though. Uh, what, what, what kind of stories were you looking at? Who were some interesting characters coming into the week? Tell us what you were chasing down. Well, the first thing I did, um, whenever I got out here Thursday was we woke up and, live uh, golf down in Australia was happening and there was a little question in a presser with Greg Norman where someone had asked him about the uh, possibility of adding a ladies component you know he said that it was certainly in the in the works something that they discussed and something that they want to do in the future so the first thing I did when I got here started you know seeking out sources to uh, confirm or deny that, talk to a variety of players, uh, caddies, um, some agents, and just kind of got a feel for that. 
So that was the first thing I did when I got here. What was your sense? Smoke, fire, other? Uh, I think it was kind of the classic um, live golf thing where they they take the tiniest bit of good news and they try to spin it their way. So what from my understanding, talking to players and agents is that, yes, live has talked with some women's players mostly last year but it was all speculative them going to them and kind of saying hey like would you have any interest blah 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 there were never any firm numbers thrown out there and that in the last six months or so there's been very little contact between Liv and any of the women's players um so it's kind of one of those things where there was some truth to what Greg was saying, but I think he was spinning it in a way that kind of made him look a little better than maybe the truth actually is. Let's be honest. Live golf is like multiple years, like three, four years away from being able to do a women's league. It, like it took them from realistically like late 2020 when people started really moving on this thing to – mid 2022 to launch what was a beta test league for their men's stuff with all the money in the world that they could ever want. And it took, it's going to take them through uh, parts and majority of 2024 to work through the litigation and lawsuit for entering the men's golf space. So, you know, it's going to have taken probably four plus years if they can continue to exist to get a men's league afloat. And that's one massive undertaking. Now, the women's game might not cost them as much money. It might, they might not have to float as much. And the ecosystem might be somewhat more welcoming. That said, like it's just another thing for them to do. They don't have a staff that's that big. They've been making it up on the fly, for lack of a better term. And that means that they can make it a women's league if they want to. Um, they are nimble, but they haven't done a lot of it right and so I just don't anticipate them being close in any fashion. And frankly, I get annoyed, not in a hate live golf sense, but in a smoke and mirrors sense, because like you shouldn't be screwing around with talking about starting a women's league unless you're really, really serious about starting a women's league. And to your reporting and to people I've talked to, it does sound like he's kind of floating that around as a sympathetic uh, olive branch that he knows people would be interested in and he knows gives him some positive PR. And so I get really annoyed when that topic comes up because it does not seem to have merit to me. I agree with you, Sean. I mean, it's the smoke and mirrors aspect that is um, a bit annoying. They, you know, it's a, a question in a presser and then he sees it as a way to kind of spin some positive headlines in his direction and he, uh, he kind of takes it and runs with it, whether or not it has any truth. But Let's do a live junior league. Let's do a yeah. live senior league. Let's do, like, oh, sorry. I get so fed up. <laughs> yeah, I think it, I think if you went and asked him, like, have you thought about doing a live champions tour? He would That's be like, live is. yeah, yeah, no, we've talked to people, like, blah, blah, blah. Well, and so here's the thing. Last summer when, when the world was Liv's oyster and they had all the momentum in the world and they were signing, you know, oh, who are they going to sign next? Who is going from the PJ Tour next? It really felt for a little while like, wow, these guys have unlimited money. They have unlimited resources. This thing could be anything. They could make it whatever they want. Uh, they could get the best college players. They could do X and Y and Z. 
And I think the the reality of live and we'll, we can touch on the Adelaide event later, which seemed, you know, at least in person, like a massive success this weekend. But the reality is the money is not as unlimited as I think we initially thought they want to, they want to find some sources of revenue. Uh, the endless offers are drying up, you know, so it doesn't seem like they are, looking to float a lot more money to start a brand new thing anytime soon. So yeah, I think you guys have kind of got that one covered. Um, Z let's, let's go back to Friday, I guess, Saturday morning and a player who missed the cut world number one, at least world number one until tomorrow morning, Lydia Ko, who has had definitely some success this season, but also uh, you wrote about, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster for her. Is there anything to take from the fact that Lydia Ko missed the cut at the first major of the year? Yes and no. I mean, obviously, golf is a volatile game, so you're going to have off weeks. And obviously, this was an off week for her. Um, But if you look at it, it's only her third missed cut in a major as a pro, which is pretty wild. Um, And it comes after a season last year in which she finally climbed the mountaintop again. She wins player of the year. She gets back to world number one. She wins three times. She wins the scoring title. It looked like Lydia Ko was back. But then at the end of all that, she just makes wholesale changes. She splits up with Sean Foley. She split up with her caddy, who had been on the bag with her throughout this journey back to world number one. And then now we're a few months into 2023. She has a win on the LET, but her results on the LPGA tour are very lackluster. She hasn't even played too much. And then she comes here to the first major and misses the cut. It, it definitely raises some questions. Like were these changes that she made in firing her caddy, splitting up with her swing coach, were they good ideas? I guess like when we, when we talk about the number one player in the world in the men's game, that's a rotating cast too. But um, I think Lydia, it just it, it gets weird when you start talking about women and women who have thought about leaving the pro game at 30 or at 35 and or at 25 thinking, okay, in this well, case yeah i know but like she said i don't really have interest necessarily in playing after 30 um now i think that was really early in her career and she might have changed her mind since then that said we start thinking of we always do this every single major we think about every player's career accomplishments during that week we think about will rory ever get a gosh darn green jacket and finish the career grand slam and it felt like a huge lost opportunity and so we look at lydia's ascent last year and we think wow could she stay could she go back to where she was which is what 2016 17 18 the greatest the greatest player coming onto the tour since annika like holy cow we could have something here and that's not to say that one major means that's not a thing, but if 2023 is a year in which it becomes more of a valley than 2022's peak, you know, that's just another lost year on the trek towards becoming 30, 35 and the end of the career. So I don't know. It's, it's not bothering me too much, but uh, we've been talking about smoke and mirrors. This could be uh, smoke where there's some fire. Yeah, one thing you mentioned there, Sean, is the this idea of the next Annika because uh, women's majors have been such a rotating cast of characters. The number one player in the world, I don't think, has won since Lydia winning back in the day. And 
entering this week, there was a lot of, of talk about how well this course suited Nelly Corda. I mean, it sure did. She finished solo third without seeming like she had her A game. But she's a little bit in that Rory camp in one particular sense, which is clearly extremely talented. And also, at least from the outside, it seems like everyone wants it for her. It's like this is there's so much pressure because everyone is almost rooting for the same thing, which is Nelly yeah. Corda to Do we win want it a too major. much. Do we well, want it too I don't much? know. I mean, it's got to be a weird dynamic. Z, did you follow Nelly around at all? Obviously, she finished only one stroke out of this playoff. Um, but how would you characterize her week? Yeah, I did. I followed Nelly a little bit yesterday. I followed her early in the round today, chatted with her a little bit. Um, yeah, her week was a bit weird because you look at the leaderboard and you see that she finished one stroke back. You see that she dang near won the thing, but it never really felt like today she was in it. She always just felt a tick or two off. And she talked early in the week about how her swing didn't feel very good. She's been working on implementing some changes because she's been getting into improper positions at the top of her backswing. And she's, just not been feeling very good with her swing. And a few times this week, we did see that. Yeah, I know you. And so we, we did see her miss some shots that she normally doesn't. She was hitting, you know, her usual precision just wasn't quite there. So she was playing towards the middle of the green a lot more, giving herself 25 feet for birdie instead of 15 where she used to. So it was a very weird week for her. She kept it together because her short game is extremely sharp, but she's just not quite as sharp with the ball striking as she has been. And, uh, you know, ultimately she came up one shot short. So it, it would be interesting to see how this week plays out differently. If, you know, she comes in and she says, yes, my swing is dialed in. Someone else that jumped out was uh, a Taya Titicol who just, I mean, seems like she is going to be a fixture in the near future, at least, is one of the best golfers on the LPGA Tour. I mean, made double on 18, and if you can rewrite history and she finds the green in two, makes birdie, she wins the thing outright. So uh, kind of a, I mean, easy to forget now because she finished T4, but man, Z, this tournament at one point felt like it might be hers to lose. Yeah, it looked that way, and I actually was sitting in the media center when she had three, four holes to play, and I said, I'm going to go out and I'm going to follow her in because I think she's going to be the champ. Um, I go out, I follow her. She comes to 18. She is looking to make birdie because she's one shot behind Angel Yen at that point, and I think she figured she needed to post at 11 to have a chance. She hits her drive knocks off a tree branch and takes the green out of play into she lays up into the middle of the fairway and then that tucked pin on the left you know it it it's a dangerous pin and she tried to go straight at it tugged it a little bit left and came up short dumped the wedge off the bank and came back into the water ended up making double like you said so yeah it seems like a missed opportunity for her because you know if she just gets in with par there She's in the playoff, and she's obviously the most accomplished out of those three players. So it it is a missed opportunity for Ataya. 
Two last things for me, Z. Uh, one, was there any chatter about the, the position of the grandstands behind the 18th green? Because it feels like that is a tradition that has continued from Mission Hills. It's just a a nice bit of relief uh, long of the green on a risk-reward, theoretically, par 5. You know, golf Twitter, unfortunately, does not reflect the real world. So there's not a lot of talk about TIO out here unless you're a real golf nerd. You know, some of us writers were talking about it. We had said how we think, you know, with Angel in the playoff, I think the play you take is just fire one as far into the grandstands as you can and then take the drop zone right there where you're basically putting from the fringe. Um, so there was a little bit of talk amongst us who live our lives on Twitter, but not a lot of talk around uh you know, the fans or the tournament organizers or anything like that. All right. Fair enough. Last thing, uh, speaking of drop zones, thanks for joining this one. But uh, what was your favorite part of this week, Z? It's cool. You got to see this uh, historic event in person. Uh, my favorite part of this week? Well, it's always nice for me to come back to Texas. Um, born and raised here, spent 23, 24 years of my life here. So it's always nice to come back, see friends have some uh, good barbecue and Tex-Mex. And other than that, it's uh, it was just interesting seeing how this tournament played out for the first time in its new home. I think there are some learnings to be had from those who've run this tournament uh, this year because there were some, some bumps along the way. But ultimately, we got to Sunday, we got to jump into the lake, and uh, we have a worthy champion. So, All right, Z. Appreciate you coming on. Travel safe back home, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, Sean. That was Zephyr Melton. And now for a play-by-play of Chad Ramey and Martin Trainer's final nine holes at the Zurich Classic. You start. Oh, uh, you know, I didn't I didn't follow it as much as you probably did, um, but I'm glad to see that Martin Trainer got a top ten finish this week. Yeah, friend of the show, moved from 183 to 156 in the FedEx Cup. We're talking about important points. Um, No, I actually did just want to mention, well, first shout out Nick Hardy and Davis Riley. We may not give their victory the attention it deserves, but uh, hitting 30 under as as a pair is pretty impressive stuff over four days. They triumphed over Adam Hadwin and Nick Taylor. But, I mean, this event is a game-changer, Sean. We're talking about exemptions. We're talking about serious points. Talking about two guys that were well outside this all-important top 50. They started at 95 and 84, respectively. They're now at 39 and 33, respectively. So they are Not only are they headed... Not only are they headed to Hawaii next year, they could be headed to... You know, all these, all the Desis, if things, uh, if they keep playing well. Could become designated hitters. Uh, well, Nick Hardy's a kind of Chicago area boy, so we definitely stand for that. Uh, I want him in a future Zurich Classic to play, hopefully he has a brother, with one of his brothers. So we could have the Hardy mm. Boys. Do you ever read those mystery books growing up? I loved the Hardy Boys. Oh, yeah. With Chet and Biff and the gang. <laughs> Just uh, they, uh, getting getting into all kinds of you know, tight spots and then working their way out of them. Well, let's get to the rest of the golf world, which, um, I mean, we paid enough attention to the PGA Tour. There wasn't a whole lot of news out of the PGA Tour this week, except 
for the ghost that lords over the PGA Tour, Tiger Woods, T-Dub, major, I think you can call this a major surgery. I think it's probably going to keep him from playing uh, PGA Tour golf the rest of the year. Just a guess. Um, he had sub-tailor fusion surgery. Is that correct? Is that the right pronunciation? Yeah, I would have gone with sub-tailor, but I don't What do I know? Yeah. Definitely seems not to be an ankle, sort of an ankle heel situation, Sean. It's just, just fuse those things together. Yeah, well, the last fusion surgery he had was a very successful one. That was in his lower back. This one is in his <laughs> lower leg, lower foot. Um, didn't really know there was a joint that could be fused in there. A uh, couple, couple bones getting meshed into one. Um, Tiger's going to be <clears throat> not playing at the PGA Championship. He is... Uh, a surely not going to be playing in the U.S. Open, and then can only assume that he will miss the Open at Royal Liverpool uh, because he's going to be in kind of a, a cast of sorts for um, a number of weeks, uh, months, going to be really chilling, lots of rest, lots of elevating that thing. And then he's going to have to kind of relearn how to walk again with, uh, <laughs> I guess, technically one less bone in his foot. Um yeah. Uh, what did you, what did the, the, was this surprising to you? That's a good question. Was it surprising? I, I mean, it now in hindsight, it makes a ton of sense. It, it was surprising. Now it makes perfect sense looking back at it. And I think it's significant for one reason. So, you know, I talked to a couple doctors last week just to try to get a sense of it. And there was a general consensus that, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, one of these is, is Dr. Matt, who you're familiar with, who's just a psychiatrist and certainly would not be getting involved in any subtalar fusions. But um, I think the general consensus is, yeah, look, this is going to help with the pain a lot. Uh, pardon my phrasing, but like, yeah, there's just going to be a lot less painful rubbing together happening when he's walking around out there. And this... For that reason, this feels like Tiger making a decision for his future as a human being rather than his future as a golfer. Like he's making his a decision for for 310 days out of the year rather than the, you know, maybe 330 days out of the year rather than the few weeks that he's hoping to play competitive golf. And I think that uh yeah, the pain will go away and I think the downside potentially is a lack of mobility in the foot and the ankle, it might be a little tougher to push off. Uh, if it had been the left foot, it would probably be almost impossible to play golf at a high level, but with it being the right foot, yeah, there's probably some, some ways to adapt to it. And, uh, I mean, the guy's so freaking strong in his upper body. Anyway, it seems like he just, he could just stand there and just turn and rip it and maybe be fine. Yeah. So, well, and that's kind of where he had gotten to, like he had been, he had been playing kind of old man ball, uh, making very upright swings. Um, at least that was how I was seeing him play golf and doing a lot of limping. I don't know if this eliminates the limp. I think the limp will always be there. I think the limp is more than just the heel. Um, I think it's the shin, it's everything in that right leg. But as you said, it is the right leg. So, um, that's the better of the two for this to happen. I think, too. yeah, I think you're right. The limp will persist, but the like, hopefully just the agony won't. <laughs> I mean, it, it's been tough to watch. I'm bummed. Uh, and I ended up writing about this for golf.com just that he 
becomes a turtle now. Tyre goes back into his shell. We don't hear from him. When he rehabs, he goes home to Florida, and we don't have press conferences. You know, like how fun was it to see Tiger pop off about live golf in St. Andrews this year before missing the cut, like in a horrible way. We still had Tiger's State of the Union at the old course in St. Andrews in the middle of July. We're not going to have that this year at Royal Liverpool. Um, we probably won't have Tiger involved in a serious way with the Ryder Cup in Rome. Though he could ride a golf cart around all week and be a vice captain, I just don't think he will. Um, and I know that's a number of months away and a lot can change by then, but it, it just, he ends up receding. And that is extremely selfish of me. That was basically the headline of the story that I wrote was like, yeah. I feel selfish right now because it felt like we had gotten comfortable with Tiger's cadence. The new ceremonial Tiger Woods, we're going to play three to four to five events a year. I'm going to say some important things at each one of those events. I'm going to be this host um, and age within the game. But also, you know, if Live Golf is pissing me off, I'm going to speak out about it. If the PGA Tour needs change and Rory wants to sit down with me and have me be involved... I'm going to do that, and I'm going to talk to you about it. So, Tiger, we're going to lose that. The media versions of us, the golf fan versions of us are going to lose him for a number of months. And selfishly, that makes me sad because um, this most recent version of him, even though he's going through hell, um, has been the most interesting version of him to me. I think that's a great point, and also your point on Royal Liverpool is well taken too. He was a champ there. He would have a, a lot of cool insight as to, yeah, how he navigated Hoylake with just a, whatever, a two iron in hand. That was basically. where he won. And the first time he won after his father died, like that's the, maybe that's maybe the most emotional moment of his entire life. Yeah. Golf life. Yeah. I mean, and, and as a result, this whole thing is emotional because it's sort of a reminder of, yeah, of the reality of Tiger Woods' life. Um, but, yeah, on a personal level, I guess I'm excited for, for Tiger that he will hopefully now be able to to live and move around in less pain. So if that comes out of this, then that seems like unequivocally a, a good thing. I wonder when he is going to say, look, I don't think I can win this week, but still play the tournament. <clears throat> because I I got into thinking about that uh, as I, I read over every press conference that he made last in the last 18 months or so, basically the Masters last year, every tournament he played through Riviera this year and the Masters this year, um, and I just was looking for the questions and how our questioning changed for him because 2022 Masters, we were like, dude, are you gonna give it a go? Like, how could how could you possibly give it a go? But Dan Rappaport that week asked him, you know. Tiger, you've made a career out of saying you won't play unless you think you can win. So do you think you can win? And he says yes. And we're all just like, shut up, dude. <laughs> Come on. Um, but then he made the cut, and he made the cut at the PGA. And so we believed in him, and he showed uh, two really good rounds at Genesis this year. But we stopped asking him if we thought he could win because I don't think the media thought he could. Like, we stopped. And I don't think he's in a place now where we can believe that he can. But he continues to kind of – act and say in the things like he always has at majors. He hasn't changed tune uh, and hasn't said like, look, I'm happy to be here uh, ceremonially. I'm not going to contend. He even said at Riviera in February, look, I'm not going to play 50 masters like Arnie and Gary player did. I don't have that in me. 
I'm not that kind of player. So I, I guess whenever he is injured, whenever he has surgery, you start thinking about the end in a far more serious way than you ever have before. And we don't know when the end will be. And this felt like a, we're taking a shortcut <laughs> closer to the end. And at some point on that path, he's going to say, don't think I have it in me this week before Thursday. Or maybe he never will. But I I will respect the hell out of him whenever he does. I guess it's important to remember that through like a day at Riviera, we were like, oh, wait a minute. Could this guy win this this week? And that was only a couple months ago. And then it's also important to remember that, you know, probably four years before he won his most recent Masters, people were saying, oh, he should hang it up. And so I think I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with your characterization here, but I feel like there's generally been a push for like, oh, it's time for Tiger to walk away. But like, I think that people people are forgetting that, like, it's not like we're talking about Gronk here. It's not like we're talking about someone that's been through, like, concussions and, like, will continue to sustain more. Like, yeah, there's no, there's no point in pretending that Tiger's future will be like his past. But if he wants to come back and he can make this fused leg thing work and, you know, he's pretty, he's pretty essential to the future of the uh the tgl so we're gonna definitely be seeing him playing golf i just think it's it's like an instinct of some people to kind of like put a put a label or put a an expiration date on his career from here on out and i just think that that's sort of getting ahead of ourselves phil mickelson just from nowhere finished t2 at the masters and you know a couple years ago won the pga like that golf is very different than other sports and, uh, and, you know, with the wonders of modern medicine, it's the, the possibilities of golfers careers are continuing to kind of defy expectations. And I think sometimes we forget that and, and, and we shouldn't. The best golfer on the planet shot, what, 12 under this year at the masters, <laughs> 12 under no one else shot nine under. Like, are you telling me that? a Tiger Woods who moves closer and closer and closer to um, being like out of pain, can't scrap together six, seven, eight, nine under over four rounds. God, you, your point there is so well taken. And the reason we just love the masters is because they just seem to have the scoring dialed in there where, you know, even this year, it seems too easy on day one, right? A few 65s in the card. If you can just hang around there, exactly like Phil did, I guess. But if you just hang around, even par, a couple under, and then go shoot a number in the last round, you are just gonna rack up top tens at that place. Like it's, and it's when guys are shooting sixty-eight, it looks. This is the trap Bryson fell into. It looks like that's exactly what everyone should be doing. Oh yeah, you just take care of the par fives, and you know you catch a couple funnel pins and you get some short birdie looks elsewhere. Yeah. The scoring there is, it's just a, that's a, that's a well run golf tournament. It sure is. Jason day was nine under on Friday afternoon. I think (laughs) nine under Jason day. Uh, that would have got him solo second and would have gotten him like comfort comfortably within the final pairing 
uh, most days of the tournament. So uh, we all know how – I think we all know how Jason Day's tournament ended up. But that is the point. It's like, holy cow, man, if you can get to a number and just kind of stay there, tournament's going to come back to you. The last thing we should probably discuss is live golf, right? They had a tournament this week. Sure. They had yeah. – they from afar i didn't watch any of it live i mean it was in the middle of the night um it was in australia this felt like from afar like the most uh the best attended uh live golf event the one with the actual most build-up maybe short of the first one in london last year uh the one where there could have been a theoretical home course home country advantage the one that the the this was the event that the PGA Tour actually maybe doesn't, isn't capable of competing with. Like they went to a country that the PGA Tour has, uh, for better or worse, avoided uh, a major golf obsessed country um, that, in, you know, <clears throat> through back channel conversations or press conferences, people have been talking about why the PGA Tour needs to go to Australia for years and years and years, and it hasn't. And so Liv saying, no, we're going there right away. And we actually are thinking about maybe doing a second tournament down there. This is where they could gain a theoretical edge. Um, it seems to go off well, but does that register in the biggest golf country in the world, which is America? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'll be curious to see viewership numbers, but... Um yeah, this is it's a little bit what we expected, which is I think we we acknowledged and kind of were ready for the fact that this was going to be a pretty smashing success in terms of people having a good time on the ground. Uh, I mean, it's not super inconsistent with other events in the U.S. last year. I mean, people definitely seem to have a good time at the Boston and Chicago events and uh, and to show up. I think that Liv's greatest competitive advantage is the fact that look golf is a worldwide sport the pga tour cannot go everywhere um in terms of australia and the pga tour having a foothold there the holdup seems to be just the lack of a large enough sponsor willing to fork over the money to support a big purse and if live is just kind of doing that themselves it's obviously not an issue um so yeah i mean it was it was pretty clear that they were tapping into an audience that was really hungry for a global style event one, and then just a big golf party too. And, and the fact that they have Cam Smith, they have Mark Leishman, they've got a handful of Aussies that definitely seemed to, uh, to take it over the top, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of beer chugging. What are they? Shoe, shoeies, shoebies. What do they call them? Shoeies. Shoeies. A lot of shoeies coming out of. Yep, the they're called shoeies. You take your you take your shoe off, and you pour a beer into it, and then you chug that beer out of the shoe. And I gag every time I watch someone do it. I don't think I would be able to do that myself. Um, good at chugging beer, not good at doing it out of my sweaty shoe. feet. No, it's just disgusting. I'm not that. I'm not even that good at chugging beer, and I, you know, wouldn't want to do it out of a shoe. I don't know. I guess I would try. You can just dump it. You can dump it kind of over your face. And you say, well, it was a a shoe. I didn't know what was going to happen. Okay. Taylor Gooch shot uh, 19 under. Through two rounds, he was at 20 under. He had a 10-shot lead through two rounds. Went 62-62. And 
almost lost it all. Almost blew his entire lead. Um, I believe he backed up. Yes, all the way to he was down to two at one point. <laughs> yeah, he, he backed up all the way to seventeen under. Um, now, gosh, I don't like what I'm about to do here, which is make a somewhat cheap argument at the format of Live Golf, but we know how many times. 54 holes is not enough holes in a pro golf tournament or lo- doesn't seem like enough holes in a pro golf tournament. And Taylor Gooch uh, held everyone off for 54 holes, but it is such an interesting tournament after 54 holes compared to what it was after 36. Anyone, I think, I think this is true. Any one of the best 300 golfers on the planet can be a buzzsaw for 36 holes. And then every single one of those dudes definitely battles to finish it out over 72 and even over 54 so that's a bit of a cheap argument because we know what it is it's not a surprise that they end this tournament after three rounds but there is uh there's an element of like everyone's hands on the steering wheel start to get a little bit shaky as you get close to actually grabbing the trophy and that was never more apparent than during this third round give me a fourth round maybe they will maybe they will give you a fourth round i don't know um, sixty-two, sixty-two is good golf. It's it's just low shooting. Sort of reestablishes that there's a handful of these guys that that still very much could compete at some point this year in uh, in major champions championships. There were already some that. The funny thing about the Masters is, you know, the uh, I, I would still be shocked if Phil competes in any of the other majors and. Maybe I feel the same way about Patrick Reed, although certainly less shocked. Um, but it's almost the other guys that you look at and you're like, whoa, all right, Cam Smith, Taylor Gooch now, Joaquin Neiman, I would expect could could play well at a couple of these. So plenty of good golfers down there, Sean. I don't want anyone to ever say that the Yeah, hopefully they're hopefully they're in all of them. I don't know if I don't know if Taylor Gooch will be in the U.S. Open. Taylor Gooch is not going to be in the Open Championship at Royal Liverpool. Like, No, <clears throat> I don't believe he will be in the U.S. Open. I'm not sure about the, the Open champ. Um, but, yeah, it's a bunch of those guys not even signing up for U.S. Open qualifying, Sean. Well, Just, one fewer person for you to beat. That's exactly right. Where, why don't you tell the, why don't you tell the people how you're going to play this year at sectional qualifying and, or local qualifying and who's going to caddy for you, just so they can like be expecting. It. Uh, Emily, my wife, is going to make her caddying debut. We were just reviewing some some rules and regulations. If anyone has any suggestions, actually, of of caddy things that you should know that I wouldn't even think of, send them over. But we're going to go have a great time. Um, Played 18 holes at Jackson Park golf course yesterday here in Seattle and uh, played pretty poorly. So I'm going to just get some more work in this week and I'm going to play well, Sean. I'm going to have What's a great time. What's the path, Dylan? What, <clears throat> what, what do you need to do to actually play good golf? What do you need to do better than you're currently doing? For me, it is, uh, well, I'd, you know, I mean, it starts with can I hit driver and play because that's kind of the basis of my game right now. I, I'm not gonna, you know, it's hard to make up for if I'm not hitting driver and play. And when I'm doing it well, that's probably one of the things I'm best at. And then the irons are really what have always separated me from being an elite golfer. When they're on, they're plenty good, but you know, uncomfortable shots. 
and mid to long irons, like, you know, if I'm hitting a five iron into the wind and, and there's trouble on one side, suddenly I get, I go from being a whatever plus something to a mediocre golfer. That's uh, so the path is really, it's, it's commitment, Sean, and it's good iron shots. And it's just, uh, it's, it's hitting every shot. Like I mean it. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to wake up on the morning of your qualifier this year. I'm going to send a text to Emily and I'm going to say, Emily, every time Dylan steps into a shot, ask him if he's fully committed to that shot. Just ask those words every single time. Are you, are you committed? And then when he says yes, then you can let him go. That's how you're, that's how you're going to qualify. Here's the path. The path is, you know, three under at locals and, and that gets me through 70 plays off or alternate or something. And then, uh, catch a really, catch a really good side of the draw at sectionals. (laughs) I don't know if there's not even a draw. It's, it's, this doesn't really exist in this way, but (laughs) really tough day, but less so when I'm playing and, you know, shoot even par for 36 holes and everyone else blows up. Boom. In the field. Make a long putt in a playoff. (laughs) LACC. Here we come. That's it. Perfect. All right. Let the local drop zonies hold them to it. Dylan. Thank you as always. Zephyr, shout out to you. And uh, thanks to the Drop Zone followers. Uh, We appreciate you. Tell a friend and then tell that friend to tell a friend. We'll see you next week.